0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special Valentine's episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And our special guest on this episode, you may know her from Jaws or White Christmas or even Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. It's Lola. Hey, Lola, how's it going?
1: What up? <laughs> I, I would just like to say, for the record, this is round two of recording for us. We had a technical difficulty previously. Um, so I'm just going to check and make sure. Does everyone now have a second glass of the champagne I either bought them or Venmoed them to buy themselves? Uh,
0: second glass, uh, downed, finished, complete.
1: <laughs> oh, Deep no. in my tummy. <laughs> well, listeners, you guys are in for an interesting ride on this one since uh, Ian's apparently already drunk. Um <laughs> But yes, uh, we are so happy to have Lola back to cover um, one of my personal favorite movies. You guys will have to let me know if you have seen it before. Uh, We covered it for the podcast, but that is Roman Holiday.
2: Have not.
1: I have, but I didn't remember it was in black
2: and white. So questionable if I were if I actually watched it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, my brain will sometimes fill in color for black and white movies for some completely unknown reason so uh you probably saw it
1: (laughs) that's hilarious because my brain will sometimes take away technicolor my brain works how it should (laughs) 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 then you need more champagne um i'm listening but i'm grabbing
0: a non-alcoholic drink really quick so go ahead (laughs)
1: Roman Holiday is a 1953 American romantic comedy directed by William Wyler, who we on the podcast would know from Mrs. Menever, The Best Years of Our Lives, and Ben-Hur. Actually, I think doing Roman Holiday makes him the most represented director on our podcast at four episodes. He previously was tied with Billy Wilder for three episodes.
0: That's super interesting, actually that it's that few. I kind of would have expected it to be more, but I don't know.
1: I feel like the uh, Academy Awards kind of do get spread around. I think, you know, within decades, you might have people kind of recurring, but overall, I think there's a decent spread. Um, This movie stars Gregory Peck, who we of course know from Gentleman's Agreement as Joe Bradley, the hero of the film, and Audrey Hepburn, who we on this podcast unfortunately no. from my fair lady. That's not unfortunately that we know Audrey Hepburn. I love her. It's unfortunately (laughs) my fair lady won an Academy award for best picture and we had to watch it. I love you and respect you if you love that movie, but I do not love and respect that movie.
0: Yeah, we do not. (laughs) That's an official position of this podcast.
1: (laughs) It's a fun episode though. So I would encourage you to listen to it. Um, This was not Audrey Hepburn's first film. But it was her first major film role and her first American film. And originally, she was much further down in the credits. Uh, Gregory Peck's contract provided that he be like solo star billing. However, halfway through filming, he went to Weiler and was like, "Uh, hey, she's really good. You really should elevate her to equal billing.
0: Oh, Gregory Peck. Oh, that's so endearing. He really is Atticus Finch. Yeah. I wonder if he also made them pay her more, but I doubt it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that Um, because she was, Fairly unknown at the time. So originally Elizabeth Taylor and Gene Simmons were both approached for the role of Princess Anne. However, there were budget constraints because William Wyler insisted on shooting the film on location in Italy. Um, Italy was actually a pretty popular filming location at the time. And I had read that Wyler was potentially trying to avoid being called up in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee and was like, now would be a good time to be out of the country. Um, So he was very insistent on filming uh, in Italy, but that made the film more expensive. They're filming outside a lot. And so instead of it being in Technicolor and getting like a well-known female actress for Princess Anne, they had to go with black and white and go with a lesser known actress. However, I think both of those things are for the best. I love uh, his quote about how he
2: envisioned uh, Audrey Hepburn and why she was perfect for the role. Was, and I quote, she was perfect. His star had no arse, no tits, no tight fitting clothes, no high heels. In short, a Martian. She will be a
1: sensation.
0: Okay, Mars, how do you get Martian out of
1: that? (laughs) Her look was very different from what was kind of popular. among uh big stars at the time uh but i I think it's funny that he acts like that was like super on purpose but it's like you did reach out to elizabeth taylor and Gene simmons first
0: i mean that's fair but i still think about mars attacks and that one martian attempt at a woman from (laughs) earth that's
1: that's (laughs) a horrific image and we will not think about it gosh that movie is terrible that movie is an experience
0: it's a delight Delight. It gave me
1: nightmares
2: as a Same. child Same. and I watched it like a month ago and I was like, this gave me nightmares. This movie, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so bad because I, I didn't, I didn't know that it was directed by, uh, whatever that guy's name Tim is. Burton. Tim Burton. So I was like, oh wait, this movie is probably pretty good. And then no, awful,
1: terrible.
0: I liked it. So you know no, what? May,
1: hey, maybe maybe this is a future <laughs> anniversary episode since we like to do very much non-best picture winners for those. It's horrific. Speaking of best picture winners, while this movie did not win best picture, it was nominated for best picture and it was nominated for a lot of other stuff. So Weiler was nominated for best director. Eddie Albert was nominated for best supporting actor. He plays the photographer Irving. It was nominated for best screenplay. Um Interesting fact about the screenplay. So one of the main writers and the person who I'm going to say eventually won for best story was Dalton Trumbo, who was one of the writers who was blacklisted in the 50s, like 40s and 50s, uh, due to his refusal to testify in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee. And I believe we've referenced that in past episodes. Just know it was Part of all the McCarthyism bullshit. Um, It is the official stance of our podcast that uh, HUAC and McCarthyism can suck it. But because of that, he was uncredited on the film. And it wasn't until much later when the Academy went back and gave him the award that he had rightfully earned. Um, And so after the film was remastered in the early 2000s, he is now included in the credits. Do you guys hate McCarthyism because you are Russian or <laughs> no? I mean, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've talked multiple times about like McCarthyism and censorship and like the Hayes code on the podcast. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of leave it there, but uh, yeah, he, it won for best story at the time it was given to um, Ian McClellan Hunter, who kind of agreed to front for Trumbo, uh, since it couldn't really be admitted that a blacklisted writer had worked on this. It was also nominated for Best Art Direction, Black and White, Best Cinematography for Black and White. Uh, Edith Head won for Best Costume Design for Black and White. It was nominated for Best Film Editing. And Audrey Hepburn won for Best Actress, Ugh. which I think is very well earned.
0: It's so well earned. I'm so happy about that. And on her first like major film debut, she's so good.
1: Now, Ian, do you remember what did win Best Picture that year?
0: Okay, I it was do. from Here I, to wait, Eternity. Wait, wait. I was going to say no, no, no. I I remembered, but I was like, "Am I allowed to say it the second time oh. around?"
1: <laughs> I, <forgot. laughs> I admitted this was a second recording.
2: <laughs> I
1: thought you had actually forgotten again, no. and I was like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was from Here to Eternity. Um...
0: We'll just pretend like that happened the first yeah. and only time around. Wait, I'll no, try we, are and clean we going to say that it was the second time around? Because if we are, yeah, I'll- <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll see what happens when I edit. Okay. <laughs> anyway, from here to eternity takes home a uh, best picture that year from here to eternity also takes home a lot of those other awards that Roman holiday was nominated for. So it takes home best director, uh, best supporting actor for Sinatra, best screenplay, uh, best, Black and White Cinematography, Best Film Editing. On top of those, it also takes home Best Sound and Best Supporting Actress. I, I remember like liking From Here to Eternity uh, a decent amount. Like I'm not mad that it beat Roman Holiday. I think I definitely would prefer and have watched Roman Holiday a lot more than I have watched From Here to Eternity. But I think I understand the win and I'm not necessarily mad at it.
0: Same, but also how much did the weightiness of uh, From Here to Eternity play into that? Because, you know, you know how I have my thing about being like the Academy loves weighty films, but. I love sad. Gut punches. They
1: love sad.
0: Platoon. Perfect example. (laughs) yes (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> to pull a quote from another favorite of our podcast amadeus i am fed to the teeth with these elevated things
0: oh burn academy no
1: <laughs> i've said that on like pretty much every episode since we did amadeus i love that quote but again so like here to eternity i think we both have it kind of middle of our list so not necessarily mad at it though i think roman holiday probably has the stronger legacy
0: definitely more staying power with me
2: I feel like they didn't give it to him because maybe Audrey Hepburn was unknown. And I feel like the Oscars really liked having well, very well known, well directed, like we're in contention for the Oscar, especially at that time versus like, oh, this
1: is a cute, fun, little happy movie. I mean, she does, though, beat out Deborah Kerr, who was in From Here to Eternity for Best Actress, um, though From Here to Eternity certainly is like absolutely star studded. And that's why I think
2: it it won the overall best picture. And then the way that they showed Roman Holiday was good, but maybe not a best picture was by giving a lot of the cast those other kind of awards.
1: Yeah. And when I, th- I think it's just hard for comedy to win. Right. I think we've we've seen that over and over again, which is why a lot of times we highly prize the comedies that do win.
0: (laughs) Tom Jones, cough, cough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know not everyone loves that one, but we were like, oh, my God, I got to laugh. What a breath of fresh air. So, uh, last bit of background, the reason we are doing Roman holiday for our Valentine's day special episode is because I was like, what's the holiday we haven't done a special episode for Roman or not Roman. Holiday. Yeah. The
0: Roman holiday is the one we haven't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ides of March. Get excited. Um, but I was like, we haven't done Valentine's Day. So and I want to do it with the three of us since we're kind of close to all of our birthdays. And of course, you two are my favorite Valentines. But I was like, what should we watch? You know what? I'll let the American Film Institute tell us. So I went to the American Film Institute's list of 100 Years, 100 Passions. So their most romantic films. And I was like, what? According to AFI is the most romantic film. And they were like Casablanca. And I was like, great. It won Best Picture. We've already done it. What's the second most romantic film? They were like, Gone with the Wind. I was like, One Best Picture. We've already done it. How about the third? They were like, West Side Story. I was like, great. One Best Picture. We've already done it. So I was like, please let the fourth be something we haven't done yet. And they were like, here's Roman Holiday. And I was like, perfect.
2: The Academy loves sad movies. Uh, Or not Academy. Well, that too. You know, (laughs) AFI and the Academy single-handedly agree that they both love being sad even when you're supposed to be happy
1: agreed because all all four of the films that i have just listed uh the the main couples don't get together and i think in only one of them a couple gets together so however i'm not
2: gonna lie when you told me that we were doing roman holiday for valentine's day episode i was like oh i guess valentine's day is a a a Roman holiday. Like maybe it takes place <laughs> during, I, I was like, I don't quite understand this. And then first time I heard you explain that I was like, Oh, that's why we're doing it. I yeah. just thought maybe it was some kind of like Roman thing or
1: I don't know. Saints. Yeah. I mean, also I'll just like take an excuse to do an episode on Roman holiday. Cause I love that movie. And I do think it is a romantic movie, even if, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily get a happy ending, but I think it gets a perfect ending. It's
0: a great rom-com, but I agree with your perfect but not happy ending.
2: I, this this can be completely cut. I just have a lot of qualms with this AFI passions <laughs> list.
0: Okay, you and me uh, both. Casablanca, I'm here for. The rest of them, I'm like, What? <laughs>
2: Well, like Dr. Zhivago is one of them. I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure that's about like the Rwandan genocide.
1: No, no, oh. no, no, no. It's about the Russian Revolution. <laughs> genocide. <laughs> yes. Um, it's long. It's David Lean. It's what I refer to as his most David lean Davis. David it's Lean It's the Lean movie. effect. It's hmm. where
0: you lean into three hours of runtime.
1: Yes, it's where you have a lot of beautiful vistas and not a ton of story happening. That's fair. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is on there. I, and we've discussed multiple how times. how I
2: who deeply despise <laughs> that. And then you've got My Fair Lady is
1: number twelve. If you listen to our My Fair Lady po- episode, you will understand exactly why that movie is not romantic. It's problematic. And I hate Henry problematic, Higgins. y'all. It's so problematic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gigi is on there, which is super problematic. I've got three more I have qualms with, and then we can oh, move no, on please. to the next I need section these of takes. today.
2: <laughs> Continue. Um. Moonstruck, yes. Excuse
1: you, we love seventeen. You know it was
0: nominated for best picture, right?
1: It was nominated for best picture, but most iconic
2: love story, seventeen. Not to be, you know, outdone by (laughs) Ghost, in which they basically have sex on a pottery wheel. But okay, Uh, with a ghost. And then the last one in which I will mention I have a lot of issues with is Pretty Woman, which is about basically a man hiring a hooker, following and falling in love with her. And then the entire movie is about how she's not good enough for him. And I know that that one's iconic because it's Julia Roberts. It's like her big breakout, but it strikes
1: love it strikes like, a
0: lot of the same themes as my fair lady not gonna lie
1: and Gigi, frankly. Um, I would like to point out that that list was created in 2002, so grain of salt, well, <laughs> for sure. A lot of bad
2: decisions were made in 2002, and we'll just chalk this up to being one of them. Thin Brows <sighs> mm-hmm. were in in 2002, Shiny Pants were in, Flare Jeans, uh, Britney Spears, I'm pretty sure, went under her conservatorship uh, in 2002, so... I'm just saying, bad year for everyone. Actually, that math doesn't work, but that was iconic, Brittany, so never mind. Good decision made. But I, I think that's when her and Justin Timberlake broke up. Bad decision made. So,
0: also the jean bad jackets. Decision also a bad decision
1: <laughs> I'm a on them. Jack- okay, no, 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 no.
0: The jean jackets plus the jeans plus the jeans plus both of them in jeans.
1: Okay, I'm just going to reel oh. us back in really quickly, and I can't believe I'm the one having to do it, because... It's usually <laughs> Ian reeling me back in. Two
0: glasses of champagne, that's all it takes.
1: <laughs> Let's return to Roman Holiday and dive into watch notes. I need you guys to give me like 1 minute so I can get more oh, champagne. Yes.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll keep talking about movies. I go off. <laughs> go to go off. Off. Uh I just they're all ter- they're all bad. Roxanne I haven't even heard of half of these. Jezebel. <laughs> Jezebel is the name of one of the movies. <laughs> like the
0: best okay, wait. I gotta like pull up this list.
2: love
1: movies.
2: I thought that said Shrek. I had a moment, but it wasn't Shrek. If it
0: did, I would honestly be more on board with that.
2: <laughs> Grease. Grease is on there. That is oh not a love Maggie, movie. That is a Annie
0: movie Hall about is changing this. who you Annie are. Annie Hall is on this list.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, and we've already discussed how problematic that okay. is. Okay,
0: Out of Africa, totally deserved.
1: Oh, I agree on Out of Africa. Uh, while the movie is imperfect, the romance is amazing. Wuthering Heights, that's depressing. Super problematic. Yeah. A
2: lot of these I don't know, and listen, all I watch are love movies. <laughs> so I have a big issue with the fact okay, that the hunchback I don't of, know
0: of Oh, it's these. the 1939.
1: Where's How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Singing in the Rain, I agree with. When Harry Met Sally, Sound of Music, I agree with. Anna Karenina it's real sad I'll give it oh it happened when night's on oh, there Approved The Princess that.
0: Bride is on there Okay so they had like 10 <gasps> good movies Princess
1: Bride okay I'm sorry The Princess Bride should be number two That movie is so romantic I love it That's a See that's a romantic movie I will agree with Special that Special episode where we do Our own 100 Passions list
2: Please I'm in I'm just saying I'm really bothered. Okay, we can go back. The one of them. Sorry. One of them is literally called the unbearable lightness of being. I don't
1: remember. Oh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is on most romantic. Oh, no, no, no. I love that movie. It is not romantic. If you're in a relationship like the ones mirrored in that movie, get out. Their definition
2: of love story is regardless of genre. Well, then you've already <laughs> lost me. It it's the genre is romance movies. Well, you can have multiple genres in a movie. Okay, a romantic bond between two or more characters whose action slash intentions provide the heart of the film's narrative. That's like every. That's like writing a movie or a story one hundred and one is like,
1: and like passion isn't and love. Why is
0: Marty on here? Because the bar apparently is that low.
1: I thought Marty was on there. Marty's real cute. Oh, it is. it oh. is. 64. It's it's too high though.
0: Yeah, I'd agree.
1: Anyway, shall we shall we watch notes? Yes. We can do a special <laughs> yes episode. episode. Angry.
0: Yeah, so I love the way that they introduce Princess Anne. So they start off with this very typical like news montage of going through this. Royal tour of all of the different locations and all of her different roles that she is playing in this tour. And I really do like how this starts to introduce that like tension that you see so often in in media depictions of royalty where there is this great privilege. But at the same time, all of this responsibility, like just resting on their shoulders. And yeah, they're going on this whirlwind tour of Europe, but all they have to do or all they can do rather is just like go through this 12 hour schedule
1: and smile and wave. Exactly, I love that in every single thing she is smiling and waving the exact same way. So we're very there, you know, they're showing us not telling us just the pressure and also somehow monotony of the life she's currently living. So we move from that into what I think is one of the best character introductions, uh, we have this royal reception where she is greeting all of these other ambassadors and you have her enter with her entourage, um, who is a lot of like old dignitaries. She is dressed beautifully in this Edith Head ball gown. Oh,
0: I love Edith Head so much and like her attention to detail on all of these costumes. Just oh, it's so good.
1: We have the it's it's like the little things in this scene, right? Like you have the one uh, member of her entourage where like she starts to sit down. They're like, no, you have to stay standing and like greet everyone. And you have this great juxtaposition of her doing like the very formal uh, royal greetings uh, for this huge line of like ambassadors and dignitaries edited in with the shots of like her fiddling with her shoes because they're uncomfortable. And there's the great bit where she loses one of them and then has to sit down. And I love the bit where her entourage realizes that the shoe is there and they all act like it is the end of the world. And I feel like it's the perfect visual representation of like the pressure she is under kind of this expectation that she is this symbol, um, almost uh, unearthly perfection that is expected of her. But like, she's a young woman, like she's a person.
2: Yeah, I think it humanizes her from being a royal when there is that expectations. And I think you said it one of the recordings (laughs) that we've done today that uh, it was so popular because at the same time, it was Princess Margaret's scandal with Peter Townsend. And so... It really shows that, yeah, even though they're royal and even though there's all of this stuff, they can still make small mistakes. But as a royal, if you lose your shoe in the middle of a ball, it is just the end of the world and everyone will judge you and it'll ruin trade relations and you'll be a scandal for the rest of your life.
0: Well, fortunately, she feels all of that weight and has a mental breakdown very soon after (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's a very different scene from, like, regal her to, like, her kind of, like, jumping up and down, brushing her hair. She's laughing. She's kind of enamored by this music coming from this barge on the river that's kind of like this siren's call for her. Um, She's talking about how she hates her old nightgown. She wants to wear pajamas just the top.
0: And they do play up her youth so much in this scene, which I think is... I don't know. In in the context of trying to show how she is a person and separate from her station as Princess Anne, I think it works really well. But I, I'm not sure how I like it in the larger context of where her character goes afterwards, because she is more shrewd than she lets on. Maybe not like the most worldly, but like from a narrative perspective, I'm OK with it, but maybe not super jazzed.
1: I like it because we do see such a transformation in her. And I, I feel like at the beginning, she's, she seems so young because she has been so sheltered. Um, like you have the countess who is sitting there going through her schedule or schedule. Both are correct. Don't know why that line sticks with <laughs> me, but it does.
0: Cause you like to say schedule
1: <laughs> schedule. It's fun. But as she's going through it, you have the like, thank you. No, thank you. The like, oh, which you will accept. um, And kind of the escalation of that, which leads to the breakdown. And I feel like that gives her such a place to grow at the end.
0: I one other bit of criticism here, which like don't take this as me thinking that. Audrey Hepburn didn't deserve her win for best actress because she 100% did. I just, I wanted a little bit more subtlety in the buildup to this outbreak. And I know maybe that just bothers me more than it does you all, but it just felt like it was very muted. And then immediately went to this like tantrum level of her, like screaming and banging on the bed. Um, And I know that she can like give us these really great levels. So a little bit sad on that. I'm going to chalk it up to less than stellar directing in that moment, but that's yeah, just me there.
2: Very, very, my fair lady of zero to 60 real quick on the emotion. And it's almost, and that's the only scene that you really feel like that, but it felt very like, okay, where is this coming from? And you get, like Maggie said, you get the buildup of, oh, it's very overwhelming of a schedule and things you have to do and yes and no, don't accept, yes, accept. But then for her to like all of a sudden be like screaming and crying, it did kind of take you out of the scene for a moment because it was like a little too much. But I know that that was probably very muted for the time as far as acting. So I, you know, it's
1: kind of, I think it only, it only, bothers me because it feels very my fair lady-esque it doesn't bother me quite as much as it does you guys i think for me i saw morris just say like this usually very like calm and reserved person has absolutely been pushed to her brink and like that's her snapping point um but i do think kind of the scene that follows that is very important where you have the doctor kind of being the first person to really treat her like a human um where he's you know she apologizes for crying and he's like it's Very natural to cry like you're fine. Um, You know, he does give her a sedative, but he's sitting there going, you know, I think the best thing is for you to like this will help you sleep. But the best thing is that you should just do what you want for a little while versus, you know, her caretakers being like, well, this is just going to mess with the speech tomorrow. Like she has to be somewhere at eleven forty five. I was fully expecting at
2: one point just being an older movie for them to be like oh, this drug is cocaine or, like, something, like, horrific. Um, And it wasn't good because, I mean, it basically had her knocked out for, like, 18 hours, right? I mean, that was a really long time for her to be completely, like, inundated. And having nobody watch her...
0: Well, it was uh, 1950s Ambient because she was sleepwalking the hell out of that drug.
1: <laughs> I do want to note that several times in this scene and kind of uh, the scenes we'll transition into, like while she is out of it, she repeatedly says the phrase so happy because they're like, this will put you to sleep and also it'll make you a little bit happy. And so she keeps being like so happy because it's brought around in like the most beautiful, subtle way at the mm. end.
0: But her escape scene, while she apparently is drugged up on 1950s Ambien, I'm going to keep calling it that, was great.
1: I don't think the drugs hit her until she's like in the trunk of that
0: car. So I'm going to choose to believe that she was impaired the whole time and is just that much of a badass.
1: <laughs> I do love the way that's shot, though, because it's shot almost like a heist. Um, And you have that beautiful shot of her running down the alley as like the security guard's shadow kind of comes along the wall. And the
0: iconic black and white cinematography, like the way they're able to capture the kind of menacing figures in the building, watching her as she's, you know, escaping, like just adds to that kind of foreboding, forbidden sense of the whole scene.
1: So next, let's talk about the introduction of our hero, Joe Bradley journalist uh,
0: not a very hero's introduction at the poker game that's all i'm gonna say
1: <laughs> i i do kind of like that we were setting up very early the dynamic between him and irving um and we're establishing the like he's what on his last five thousand lira or something uh he's broke and he wants to get back to the states uh he's he's kind of an I'll, I'll do i'll do what i gotta do to get the story kind of guy i think any movie that uh kind of immediately
2: puts the stakes, whether it's monetarily or career or something like that is always good because it's like, there's so many scenes in which he like gives her money or pays for something or does something that for her, she doesn't understand how much of a sacrifice that is. But then as you go on, it kind of shows like how much he cares for her or how much he wants this interview, depending on how you interpret it. So I like movies that kind of initially establish like, Hey, this is a lot to them and this is a big deal.
0: I could not agree more. Like, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm sitting and watching a movie for 45 minutes and still don't understand who I'm rooting for or why I care. So, like, yes, all the way.
1: (laughs) I think it's a good motive too, right? Because it's not, it's a selfish motive, but it's not like super sinister. Like, it's not unforgivable. Like as an audience for a hero, like we we kind of understand it. And it also gives him room to grow as well so that we have these two characters with completely separate character arcs and story arcs that just happen to kind of develop alongside of each other. And that's where you get like the romance
0: for sure. And we get their first meeting very quickly as he's leaving this poker game, finds her passed out on a park bench. Or a monument bench.
2: I.
1: She's like on the side next to some, some ruins, you know, those things that are just scattered around Rome. <laughs> Casual ruin sleep. But I love the like when she introduces herself and she's just like charmed and like does the hand. Um, I think Audrey Hepburn does a great out of it.
0: Totally agree. And the physicality that she plays it with, like. When we to jump ahead a little bit, like when we get back to his apartment, the way that they're going up the spiral staircase and she just like misses the stairs and is walking around at ground level. Like just I wouldn't call that a little thing, but it's just she plays it so naturally it doesn't feel like an act.
1: I think they both nail the physical comedy. She's very good at playing the aloof uh,
2: damsel in distress or the damsel in stress that doesn't know they're
1: in distress. Right. That's,
2: I think, her sweet spot for sure.
1: Well, and it's just like the little things that they do, right? Like they, they're they not hamming it up too much because that's not what this film is. But it's like little things like him moving the money from like the pocket next to her to like a different pocket because he's like sus of her and like little things with like her just missing the staircase. But like continuing to float along and he like twirls her and brings her back. Um the little bits of like them stopping and her just like falling asleep against his back and then him trying to like prop her up again. Like it's it's a subtle physical comedy, but it works so well. That's how you know they're good
2: actors, right? Because there's a good chemistry between them. I don't I feel like it It felt more natural than maybe other movies when they try to imitate that same sort of chemistry and physical comedy between two people.
0: 100%. Absolutely. And when you get into his apartment and kind of (laughs) the way she's like, help undress me. And he is so uncomfortable about this. He has
1: no idea who she is at this point. And she's still very much acting like a princess. Like he's very confused because he's like he thinks she's drunk, but they like get in a fight about poetry. And he's like, you're well read and you're well dressed. So like, what were you doing? Just like sleeping on the street. She obviously can't give any answers. I love the whole bit of. Like, he gives her the pajamas. She's really excited about the pajamas, Uh, kind of bringing that back. There's the whole bit where he's like, no, you're sleeping on the couch. You do not sleep in the bed. You sleep on the couch. He goes out to get coffee, comes back. She's asleep in the bed, and he, like, uses the blanket to just roll her onto the couch, which they gave her very strong drugs because she does not wake up when he, like, tries to wake her up, when he rolls her onto the couch, when he's sliding all the furniture around
0: Okay, so rolls her onto the couch is like a very gentle way to put that. He flings her off the bed and onto this couch. Like it is it is not gentle.
2: <laughs> and that's not a couch. That is like a wooden bench with a pillow on it. Like it's not Marginal like a cozy pillows comfy pillows place.
1: <laughs> yeah, no no no. It's Italian pillows. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so that scene is so important because they juxtapose it in just a little bit in like the best ways.
0: Moving into kind of the next little couple scenes, I love that he oversleeps and misses his interview with the princess, who we know, but he does not, is sleeping in his apartment.
1: (laughs) And who everyone else thinks is just super ill and therefore isn't going to be doing this interview.
0: It's great. I did like the scene with his boss because it does, at least for me, kind of build, again, more stakes for him to want to succeed also gives more motive also shows him to be a pretty shrewd like banter person is that making any sense banter person I think he's a
1: terrible liar well he's
0: a bad liar but (laughs)
1: he's a terrible liar
0: (laughs) he's got moxie kid
1: (laughs) the only reason she does not pick up on like his whole thing is because she's been so sheltered
0: okay that's fair
1: like every princess
0: I still enjoyed the scene. I thought it was funny. And also, again, gives us more background on him where it's like he's very clearly bought in to trying to get back to the States, getting out from under whatever debt his boss holds over him, which don't know how he got a thousand dollars. And well, I know how he got 500 of those thousand dollars, but the other 500, no clue.
2: Is this does this maybe take place in the time it was filmed or is this kind of I think it's kind OK, I was just curious because I was like, "Ah, oh, five hundred dollars. That's not like anything to like throw your life over. But then you think about like what? Nineteen fifty Fifty three? fifty five,
1: three money. I mean, that's like a lot of money, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I do think it's interesting that they're talking about like a European federation and stuff. And I'm like, oh, the EU um, early <laughs> rumblings of that uh, history nerd in me was very happy. Um, I The scene with the boss is also super important because that's also where he realizes, oh, the person who's asleep in his apartment that's the princess who's supposedly sick and i love the call to giovanni his landlord
0: oh where he's like just guard it guard the apartment nobody in or out and he has a gun (laughs) just like pacing soldier style up on the second level there in front of the door it's funny
2: I loved the eight Italian children yelling at him in the most Italian way ever. They're like, hey, don't, don't tell me what to do. And he's like, ah, blah, blah,
0: blah. and I especially loved Gregory Peck, like bounding over these children on the stairs. It was like, get out of my way. And they ducked
1: because he's got a plan. And that is the exclusive interview with the princess. Like he's he is going to sell this story. It's his ticket home. It's worth fifty thousand dollars nowadays,
2: so everyone can understand the stakes. Is that what five thousand dollars is worth? Yes, a dollar is ten forty-four now. So this story is worth fifty thousand dollars. So everyone at home, just think about like, would you con a princess for fifty thousand dollars? Because I would. Yep. I'm not
0: sure I would. Maybe, maybe in the moment.
1: It depends. Does she end up being super likable? Because I think that's the key to this movie, right? Is that you have Audrey Hepburn's character just being so likable and so just genuine, despite the fact that she is very disconnected from the real world for pretty much the entire movie. Um, I think it's a very delicate balance that she strikes so that, you know, when he reaches the decision of like, is he going to... Betray this trust that they've developed it there really is stakes and like we care for her as well like we we don't necessarily want him to do it.
0: Yeah. And I think honestly her likability and naivete really show in when she's woken up and then ultimately is leaving the apartment where I liked the parallel to her seeing all of the ornate ceilings in the palace or building versus the water tank in his apartment. Great, great piece of filmmaking there.
1: Checking to make sure she's wearing the full pajamas. Yes. That's like a funny touch. (laughs) There's also a line that I love right before she wakes up where he's kind of pretending to be the doctor. And Peck's performance here is so good because his attitude towards her has completely changed. Like he's being much more careful with her. He moves her from the couch to the bed because he's like, I can't I can't. Yes, he like picks her up in the classic Princess carry because he's like, oh, I threw the princess like halfway across the room, basically. And I love the bit where she's still half asleep thinks she's talking to the doctor and is like telling him about this dream she had where she was asleep on the street and this young man found her and he was tall and strong and he was so mean to her and i love the (laughs) cut to gregory peck's face where he's like oh shit i was mean to the princess
0: So there are a couple more funny scenes, especially the one where the cleaning lady comes in and discovers her in the bathtub and basically is
2: like,
0: (laughs) oh, it's well, did you notice that parallel too? when uh, his neighbor saw him giving money to the money
1: (laughs) looked
0: real sketch? Well, I'll put it that way. But I, I love her kind of enamorment as she moves through the city and the market and all of just the random everyday things that she does, like buy a pair of shoes or get her haircut in that like very iconic kind of pixie short do that you see Audrey Hepburn in. Like it's such a delight to see her wonderment at all of these banal things that she's never really experienced
1: And then contrasting that with Gregory Peck trying desperately to follow her. He's called his photographer friend and he was like, trust me, I've like got the scoop of the century. He's trying to steal a kid's camera at the Trevi Fountain so that he can get a picture of her getting her hair cut. Like just the different experience that the two of those characters are having at the exact same moment. It's I think here's where the editing nomination comes in. I love um.
2: I love the part when he is stealing the camera because my husband came in and was like, "Is that man just taking a kid's camera?" And I was like, "Yes, he is." Uh,
1: No context, but uh, don't worry, it's okay. You root for him. I love, I love when people come in and like a weird scene in a movie, and you have to be like, "I promise this makes sense. It's okay."
2: I did have a question about the haircut, though. That was that her real hair?
1: I actually don't know. Because I always love a good, like, actual it hair. It looks like it might have been.
2: Like, I don't think they could have done wigs that good back then, where it would look so natural. But it was, It was. I think, any time there is, like, a haircut scene in a movie, especially when you get down to, like, the princess or, like, a transformation or, like, a revolution-ish sort of thing, I always love when they do a haircut scene or a makeover because... I think it's such a good representation of like growth and change without having to like blatantly say that.
1: Well, and it's it's such a symbol here, right? Because you have like the long hair, which is at that time more old fashioned into kind of this like shorter, more modern, more grown up haircut. And so it is the symbol of the transformation that we will continue to watch her have.
0: So a This is not a very reliable source, but they say yes. It's AnswersToAll.com. So, like, a cursory Google search uh, says yes, but I'm not going to put too much stock in it yet.
1: I think it's very possible. Yeah. I do love how mad the barber is about it at first. that She wants to cut off all of her very pretty hair. And then the moment where he kind of, like, sees... Like, oh, wait, no, this is going to look really good. I see exactly what to do. I just thought that that was like such a charming moment and such a good performance from um, Paolo Carlini, who plays the barber. The random
2: side characters are really spectacular in this movie. You seem to kind of have fondness for each and every one of them, even if they only have like one line in the scene. Which is really fun for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's a testament to performance and acting. Or not performance and acting, performance and writing.
0: Totally agree. It's like they play into the tropes that you expect, but in a way that aids in the overall effect of the film. So I'm with you 100%.
1: And that feels genuine and real. Yes. Let's talk about uh, Lunch with Irving.
0: Oh, this scene.
1: I love that she orders champagne with lunch.
0: Uh, cheers, champagne with us. But Irving is so dense. I kind of love how they have introduced him as this womanizing, like, photographer type that you might see in, like, a late 60s film. But really, it's the 50s. Um, He's an artiste. <laughs> yes. But it the way that he repeatedly does not get that he is not supposed to talk about... Gregory Peck's job.
1: (laughs) To be fair to Irving, that's a weird thing though, right? Like that's if one of you was like, Hey, meet me at this cafe and I met you and you had like some random person with you. Like I would not, I would not expect either of you to be running around the city with the princess. I, I understand his confusion and like also him not understanding what he's not supposed to talk about. Like, It happens at weird times, but it's a wonderful bit of uh, physical comedy with like at first spilling the coffee on him. And then he thinks that Joe just wants him to go because he like wants to chill with like this hot chick. So then he's like, fine, I'll go. But Joe's like, no, stay. And he's like, what do you want from me? (laughs) I love it.
0: I will say my note there was that uh, Bradley is bad at this. So I I agree. But also Irving is not the brightest bulb in the bunch.
1: It only works because she has no clue what normal people are like. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Well, and you say that, but at the same time, some of the conversation that she has about like, oh, it was the 40th anniversary of my dad getting his job in politics or like. Public relations. Public relations. It was that. But the way that she's able to kind of dance around the topic of specifically what she and her family does And you can also see the like machinations on her face. It's just such a great delivery by Hepburn and also really good writing. So, again, all deserved all around.
1: She plays her naive, not dumb. Yes. Which I love.
0: That's true. So Irving is brought in on this whole thing.
1: Oh, we have the introduction of the lighter camera. The camera that's embedded in the cigarette lighter.
0: Okay, so legitimately it took me until the very last scene to realize that that was a camera.
1: It's okay. It took her till the very last scene to realize (laughs) that was a camera. Ian is a princess, confirmed. I'm
0: apparently very naive and a princess and I'm okay with this.
1: (laughs) Our friend group does joke about people in our friend group being princesses. And I will say Ian has not been unanimously voted into it. I'm
0: I'm not part of the princess brigade. So that really leads into this whirlwind sightseeing tour in which princess Anne is given the best time around Rome.
1: I would say this segment is probably the most iconic in the movie because this is where you have them on the scooter going by the Coliseum
0: mm-hmm. where she lives, you know,
1: <laughs> where she lives. <laughs> I love when the cabbie, uh, she when she's like um, out of it and joe's like she tells joe she lives at the coliseum and then he tells the cabbie and the cabbie's like no that's the wrong address
0: just the cabbie looking out for people
1: i mean he's right it's the wrong address you have that iconic shot uh you have the bit where irving's driving around that teeny tiny car getting pictures of them sightseeing i love the physical comedy of like joe pointing and her looking off and that's when he turns around and snaps the picture uh, they get pulled over on the scooter and decides that she's going to drive it herself <laughs> and takes off causes a huge ruckus.
0: The pandemonium in that scene is my favorite. And honestly, the fact that they're able to just run around this square and ruin everyone's day. Cause they're knocking all of the things over. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's adding into the physical comedy in a way that's different for the film, but still works so well.
1: And I love the bit of them in the police office. And I there's no sound as they're explaining to the police like what happened. But like the score brings in the wedding march and we fully understand that they were like, oh, yeah, we were off to get married. And then everyone's like, oh, that's so sweet. It's fine. You destroyed everything in your path.
0: Marriage <laughs> is an excuse for all, apparently. They're
1: everything. like, "Ah, oh, young love. Um <laughs> There is a very interesting bit when they come out of the police station where Irving says about Joe, yeah, Joe's a really good liar, which I thought wasn't a very clever line. And then, of course, you have Anne being like, I'm also good at lying.
0: So she's not the worst at lying. Honestly, if you didn't see her face, I'm not sure you would know because she is able to very deftly like deflect these questions.
1: A good politician. Agreed. I mean, like, that's what she was trained for is not showing kind of what's going on underneath. And she is good at it. Um, I just think that's uh, some very clever writing. The next scene I think we should talk about is the mouth of truth scene. I adore this scene to the extent that when I was in Rome, I went and found where the mouth of truth was and I got my picture with it. Oh, you're well, in making Rome. fun of me. Oh, my gosh. And I in <laughs> I'm in jealous. Rome. That's why I'm
0: making these comments. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely love this scene. And so they're at the mouth of truth. The whole mythology behind it is if you're a liar and you stick your hand in, it, it's going to bite it off. Anne's kind of dared to do it and she starts to but is really hesitant and there's the the really charming moment where she like refuses to and like puts her hands behind her back Um, and then you have Joe steps up to do it and he like acts like it's fine then acts like something happened to his hand and then when he pulls back because Anne freaks out it startles her when he pulls back he's got his hand tucked up under his sleeve And she screams and then he like holds it out as if to shake her hand. Um, So when they were filming that, Gregory Peck, like right before they started filming, went to William Wyler and was like, I want to do this trick that I saw Red Buttons do. And Red Buttons is a very famous comedian. Um, And he was like, I'm going to like stick my hand up my sleeve when I pull it out. And Wyler was like, that's great. Um, And they didn't tell Audrey Hepburn. So the bit where he acts like his hand is caught, like that's planned, but where he pulls it out and he's got his hand tucked up his sleeve, she lets out that scream. Like that was genuine. (laughs) And I love the bit right after it, where he sticks out his hand because you really are watching like two coworkers. Like, I feel like the reaction between both of them is so genuine. Like you just watch two coworkers and like friends just pull a little prank on each other. And I, I like to think that in like the story of Roman holiday, like that's the moment the two of them fell in love.
0: I think that's a, I'm going to like also subscribe to that. uh, Now Canon reading of that scene, but that is peak dad for Gregory Peck. Like (laughs) just going to throw that out there. delightful scene delightful music in the scene i haven't really mentioned too much how the music came in into play but as maggie mentioned earlier the the audio shorthands for what was going on in the police station and then the way that you get this huge explosion of drama in the soundtrack at the mouth of truth scene really is great and i know We've mentioned before how the soundtracks can sometimes just come in out of nowhere. I think this film does a good job of bringing it in where necessary, um, but in a way that isn't so obtrusive and off-putting. Agreed. So moving into the wishing wall or wall of wishes scene, I think this is also kind of really sweet. Because you do get Princess Anne having what appears to be kind of this reflective moment of what are my wishes? What would I put on this wall? Not to mention the impact of seeing just these hundreds and hundreds of plaques on this giant wall of all of these people's wishes who have been granted, which is the um, kind of start of this particular uh, locale. So I, I don't know. This is where we start to move into this kind of like slightly sad tone for me where it's like,
1: I prefer bittersweet.
0: Yes, that is it. It's bittersweet because she's able to see all of these people realizing what they want. And she knows she can't be part of it. And I see that on her face.
1: Mm.
0: Amazing performance.
1: I think that's the point where you get the realization of like today has been amazing, but it has to end.
0: Midnight's coming sooner than you like. Mm -hmm. She did lose her shoe earlier, too. So
1: (gasps) very Cinderella. It's all of the princess movies.
0: They all lose shoes.
1: (laughs) Yes. You just don't always see it on screen. Probably. Ariel gains shoes. Um, That's the weird one. (laughs) Yeah. That one's the worst one, in my opinion. But that's another. We'll get it. That's a spinoff podcast. (laughs) Um, Shall we move into the barge?
0: My favorite scene in the whole film.
1: God, I love this scene. Well,
0: the start of this of this particular scene, like I'm good with it's her having a good time going on the barge. I love that she runs into the barber who has been trying to get her to this party. But my favorite part is when the goons in the suits decide to make their move.
1: There's a couple of things before the goons arrived. Well, previously the goons had arrived and I love the joke of them stepping out of the plane and they are all dressed. They all look like they are part of an intelligence agency. And I love where they're like, "I, you said plain clothes. And it's like these, these look like people who are working for like the government. Like this is not <laughs> what I meant. Um, I think that's a funny gag. On the barge, we have kind of like, A little bit more of a romantic connection between Bradley and Anne. I love the physical comedy of Irving's there with his camera. I love when they set it up behind the bar and you have that one bartender that's like, dude, what the fuck? And he's like, no, 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 whatever. And then the bit where they like, Joe will move so that Irving can take the picture of her dancing with the barber. And then they both immediately are like, act natural. But it's so bad and so staged.
0: I also really enjoyed the extra touch of the barber or hairdresser being unable to not continue to fiddle with princess Anne's hair. I was kind of like, okay, what are you doing? Why are you like giving her these like curly schoolboy bangs, which worked to his credit. <laughs> but also I thought it was funny that on the dance floor, he's literally pulling out a comb
1: yes. and adjusting. Yes. It's hilarious. Um, and it's so fitting that her, her day kind of ends on this barge, which is the one that she was kind of like dreaming about early on. Uh, we also get a really fun fight when the goons show up
0: the most fun. And also what did these secret service agents think was going to happen? Like she 100% was going to cause a scene like, well, maybe they didn't know that, but I knew that she was going to cause a scene and I loved seeing it coming
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. I love the bit where uh, she cracks one of them over the head with a guitar and Irving didn't get the picture. He's like, Smitty, because she said her last name was Smith. Um, and He's like, hit him again. And she does so he can get the picture. Granted, she doesn't know that. But like, I, I love that moment.
0: Well, and the fact she is literally hitting them on the head with bottles of wine slash beer like she is in on this. It's like such a a raucous end to her time as a commoner
1: (laughs) when you have like her and Joe escaping and you have that shot of like them coming up one side of like the dock Oh, behind that building and you, we can see the Secret Service agent like standing waiting and then Joe turns the corner and he gets punched into the river and then her just running and jumping into the river as well. Everyone at the party is cheering them on.
0: And we get their first kiss which is cold and wet but romantic. Your face though, that was glorious <laughs> right there. That's how they kissed
2: it. It was all tongue.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're strictly under Hayes code right now. No tongues. Tongues don't exist. <laughs> no butts.
0: No side boob. No
1: tongues. No side boob.
0: It's very sad.
1: Insides don't exist.
0: We are but Shells a shell of, of our human former beings selves. Only. <laughs> okay. Where are we? Where are we in this? I'm distracted.
1: Um it's a very sweet scene between the two of them because both of them know at this point that, like, this this doesn't last.
0: Okay, and then the way the writing takes this into talks of, like, domesticity and settling down, like, again.
1: Very 50s.
0: It is very 50s. But in the context of the film, like, feels so impactful. Because you really do understand that royalty is not about that. Or at least the perception of royalty is not like you're not going to have the princess making meals for the entire family while cleaning her like giant mansion. Like it's just not going to happen. So just furthering us from the idea of them together is just so tragic.
1: And that both of them know it, I think is the thing. Although like, again, to this point, she doesn't know he's a reporter, even though like there was the moment where he gave his press card to the police. Um, and she's like, wait, you're with the press. And he's like, oh no, 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 that was like a lie. You know, she doesn't know who he is. It, I don't know. There it's such good performances in the, in that scene because there's like so much unspoken that they just do an amazing job of communicating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the ride back just continues the, to wherever she's staying, that palatial building.
1: There's the line of like I'm going to walk to that corner just drive off. Don't watch me beyond that corner. Um it's a bit of foreshadowing for the very end uh where he he does watch and kind of waits and there's a moment where I think he's hoping she's going to come back and she doesn't.
0: Yeah. But even leading up to that in that tiny car with them so close but shrouded in darkness with this like stark flash of reality or well, what's the streetlights. But like, I take it as like reality intruding into their like fantasy. That is this Roman holiday,
1: the gates of the palace too, like that, like her gilded cage.
0: Oh, uh, it's a, a visually this, the sequence for me is visually like stunning. Not that the rest of it wasn't, but again, it's this black and white cinematography you can do. Like, especially in this moment is doing all the things I need it do
2: you of thoughts. Uh, no, I think you guys caught it. I don't
1: I just I wanna make sure you're you're not I know, but I don't I don't wanna intrude when I don't have anything to add just to say something. <laughs> Fair enough. I just wanna make sure you also don't get talked over because Ian and I are very yeah,
0: sorry. Uh
1: no, I have something I wanna add.
2: Uh tennis car. Beep beep love sadness. <laughs> <laughs> A streetcar named bittersweet sadness despair ah oh, that's so much better wait wait pause i want to act like i said that okay okay let's go it was a street card named despair oh my god Lily, you're so smart so, so thank good. you i came up with it all on my own
1: greatest mind of our generation over here <laughs> between the two of us we've won one good mind
0: and like three brain cells yay actually four between the three of us <laughs> I can add one spoons
1: is here too. So <laughs> technically.
0: Okay. So five <laughs> spoons and I have the same number. Um,
1: I was going to say that means Lola and I each have one and a half. So we're the smartest people in the room.
0: Actually, which of you has the second brain cell? Cause that's the question you can't share.
1: I don't think one of the dumbest people in this room gets to dictate the parameters of this. Experiment. <laughs> I think the, the extra I one goes to no spoons. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
0: I do love the change in Anne when she gets back, though. One, she's in a black robe,
1: and the way it's mirroring the earlier scene—like she's in in the robe, she's not in like the more childish night dress. Um, she is addressing her entourage very differently. She has a tone of authority. She has a confidence. She very plainly states to them. Uh, Because they try and pull the like your responsibility and she's like, oh, I'm very aware of it. And if I wasn't, I would never have come back.
0: Such a killer line. Such a killer line. And I also felt so bad for her in that moment that she has to put aside this amazing experience and the chance at doing what she wants and what would be she would be happy doing (laughs) like that pressure. I just. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's part of the growth, though. Right. Is like her growing into that role and now she's doing it because she made the choice to do it it's not something that is foisted upon her um i love the dismissal of the entourage i love when she dismisses the countess uh who goes to bring her the milk and crackers um i feel like that's the final symbol of like uh childishness gone right there
2: i think it draws a good parallel to the cinema classic the prince and i in which he also has a American holiday. And then he goes back and he's like, well, this is my life. I've accepted it. So same movie.
1: Happier ending in that one, though, I think. Am I remembering right? Yeah,
2: I think it does end with. But they're not together. I don't know. They're like
1: almost together. I don't know. I'm going to need to rewatch she goes, that one.
2: She does end up going to Sarah Lawrence or something like that. And then he like visits, which is. You know, if there was a sequel, they would have broken up.
1: Yeah, I think we talked pre-recording about how um, part of the reason this movie has the perfect ending is because, you know, it would never work out. And this movie admits it instead of waiting for the sequel. Well, and they originally wanted to film... A
2: sequel, I guess, and then it didn't get moonlighted or whatever the term is in the cinema. Greenlit. One. Greenlit.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm. I like moonlighted.
1: <laughs> it doesn't get. It doesn't get the boobies we all wanted. <laughs> I'm. I'm so happy a sequel never happens. Um. Or wait, were you talking to sequel to this or the Prince and I? To this. Uh, to this. Oh, I'm so happy there was never a sequel. I think this movie's pretty much perfect.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's it would be weird for it to end bittersweet and then be like, but then they saw each other again. It's almost yeah, uh, no, it's the opposite of what is the L.A. movie that just won the Oscar instead of Moonlight? <laughs>
0: uh, La La Land.
2: Yeah, it's almost like La La Land where it's like that same like it should have ended like either happy or bittersweet, but they try to do both endings and it doesn't fit. So I feel like if they would have like ended it bittersweet and then been like, oh, but then they do get together. Look how cute this is or like they solved the problems, it like wouldn't. it would tarnish the initial ending. Totally agree.
0: That's one of my many, like, issues with La La Land. I love that movie, so we're going to disagree on that one. It's a Hollywood circle jerk. I'm not for it.
2: I love a good Hollywood circle
1: jerk. Special episode? <laughs> I love it. You know what? We should have a special episode. I think episode. we should have a special episode, because one of you loves it, one of you hates it, and one of us has never seen it. I
2: love the directing and the color editing. It's it's so good in every way except the actual story. <laughs> Like, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are amazing in it. I love the cinematography.
0: The Last Emperor. It's the same situation where the story fell flat, but everything around it was perfect. Everything else was
1: good. Um, Let's talk about that final sequence on this one. Um,
0: Uh, Really, really, really fast before we get to that, can we talk a little bit about the, like...
1: Oh, yes. Yes. With... Yes.
0: I do love that in the next kind of sets of scenes, we see... Gregory Peck realize the shit that he was about to pull and like back off from the cliff, like it's very clear that he does actually care about her. Cause he kills that story.
1: This is like the, the completion of his character arc, right? Because he was doing this for such selfish motivations throughout. And then the realization of like, I can't do this to her, like writing this story and, Publishing all those photos, that would be cruel and like a betrayal. I love the scene where the editor comes in and he's like, dude, I know what's up. Gregory Peck's denying everything. Irving comes over with the photos. We have a callback to Irving not understanding what's going on. Okay,
0: again, Irving is adult. He just like doesn't, he does not pick up on things. Okay, he's not adult. He's just like not very good at reading the room.
1: I think he comes in at weird times is the thing. Cause like, I don't know if that's a room I would read initially either where you're like, Oh yeah, this was the plan. I have the photos. Oh look, the editors here. Yeah. But he does shut up. He does shut up, which I think is very important. Like he, he is a little bit surprised when Joe's like, there is no story, but he doesn't speak up. He lets the moment go.
0: I mean, he is kind of Joe's like, I'm not going to call him his ride or die, but because he needs some cajoling, but like they're friends. But what you're saying is Irving is like roommates, husbands, partners, whatever, walking in at the wrong part of the movie and being like, why is this man stealing this (laughs) child's camera? Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) What's happening? And we're like, Irving, it'll make sense in a second. Um, I love the back and forth where they're looking through the photos and like talking about what the caption would be. Okay.
0: I hated these captions. I hated them. They were horrible. They were so schmaltzy. I was not for it.
2: It's
1: the news.
0: No, this is like some tabloid bullshit. In the (laughs) fifties.
1: Ian, have you listened to your own puns? That's all I
0: (laughs) do. I try to publish my puns as part of a caption of a like, no, I don't. You would if they would
1: pay you. Do you try and get them on this podcast? Do you try and get them on this podcast? Yes.
0: Do I succeed sometimes? Usually not, but. Because uh, <laughs>
1: you're bad at building
0: relationships,
2: just like Gregory Peck.
0: <laughs> Maggie, our relationship is in need of repair, is what it's I'm hearing so from bad. this conversation.
2: <laughs> and I'm Irving over here, just not knowing what's going on.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. So last scene, we have the completion of Gregory Peck's assignment.
1: I love this scene. There are so many small things in it. From Anne's entrance and just the different way she's treating the entourage, I love how you have the transition where she's clearly answering these questions like super neutrally and not really giving anything of substance until it gets to the... um, It's something about, like, trust in the future, and she kind of does the address. We know she's addressing Joe. Joe knows she's addressing Joe, but everyone else is kind of like, what the fuck? Um, Where she's talking about, like, the trust and relationships between people. He kind of answers in a generic, like, uh, oh, yes, like, great statement, but really saying, like, you can trust me. Um, I love both of their performances there. I love when they're like, oh, what was your favorite part of your tour? And she starts with the, oh, every place has been so special and then stops. And is like, no, Rome. Rome was my favorite. And I love the reaction of her entourage.
0: Well, you know, she probably just torpedoed the predecessor to the European Union with that statement because Rome cannot have hegemony over anyone else.
1: I'm sorry, but like. No, like it doesn't really matter what she's like. She's such a figurehead like she's it's it's almost like they put so much pressure on her that doesn't need to be there. But I like the moment of her like being her own person and being like, no, I have an opinion. And yes, it's on something innocuous that like doesn't really affect anybody. But like, I'm going to say this, it's her being more than a symbol and a shell.
2: I just uh, your whole thing about the royals having a opinion on something
1: not mattering—it totally matters. I mean, her—the opinion of the crown princess of a very small country in Europe—is not going to affect whether or not there's a European Federation. You don't know that.
0: Whoa! So many mic drops in that statement.
2: I'm just saying, <laughs> like, it—it it wouldn't be. You're just insulting a princess of Genovia in which she changed (laughs) the world
1: (laughs) okay the princess of genovia is a completely different case but you know what i mean
0: Uh, no i totally agree with you that i love that i see her personality come out again we're talking about the movie princess anne not the royal real princess anne and i love this for her character
1: and it's something so again it's something so innocuous of like oh which city did you enjoy visiting the most like who fucking cares Joe cares, because he's really pleased by that answer.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: I love the moment where she's like, I'm going to greet members of the press, and then she stands up to walk, and all of her advisors start walking with her, and she just stops. Such a power play, and something we never would have seen from Anne at the beginning of the film. And then the shot of her just going down the line of reporters until she gets to Irving and Joe. Irving taking the picture with the lighter camera. Oh and her reaction and the gesture to- of
0: him giving the photos that just like broke me that's the closest I came to crying in this entire film
1: I think I tear up at that point too it's such like a a gesture of like a friend right because there's a little bit of a joking nature to it and it's it's like a type of relationship that I feel like she's never really had and would be very hard for her to have in the future too of just that like a Oh, yeah, I have embarrassing photos of you.
0: So the final, final shot of this movie is the most perfect shot ever for me. Like, okay, don't give me that look. I know you don't necessarily agree. But Gregory Peck walking out of this giant hall after waiting to see if she would come out and greet him as he's flanked by the staff. Like, it's so lonely. But you're still like, I don't know, it it just like creates this really nostalgic, sad, like, OK, this really is done feeling that you just like feel so deeply. I don't know.
1: You can hear his footsteps echoing through the hall and then the moment where he pauses at the entrance and turns around one last time to see if she'll come back. And I feel like in a less perfect movie, she comes back. But. We know she's made her decision like we know based on the conversation that like this would never work like it's such a beautiful moment blip in time that they've shared but the realities of both their situations like this never works and i i think it's perfect that she doesn't come back and that he just turns and walks out
2: well and i think it captures the idea that like you can be in certain relationships that are perfect at that moment But are probably not perfect long term, which I think a lot of movies kind of neglect to bring up that point is like you can have a fling and it's okay, and you can look fondly back upon that fling. But there were certain things like if you were going to really if they were truly ever going to be married or get together, like I think the fact that they lied to each other uh, for most of that initial relationship would be a huge actual issue Of course, money and roles and all of that stuff would be an issue. But like, I feel like a lot of movies try to still force it and be like, ah, they won't remember. But this movie does a good job of like accentuating like the Roman holiday. Like sometimes you go away on a holiday or you go to the certain area and you have like that perfect romance that can be perfect in that moment and doesn't need to go any further.
1: I think that's a perfect summary.
0: Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. Like the holiday, you're in a fantasy land. Like everything works. When I
1: mean, (laughs) to bring it to another
2: love movie, apparently on AFIs is Greece, where at the beach that summer it was a perfect romance. But then when they try to replicate that romance in real life, it doesn't work because. They're not... You Sandy know,
0: has to, like, totally impugn all of herself to, like, be with this douchebag and then ride off into the sunset. Sorry, I have thoughts. No, <laughs> I in off car. into the sunset,
1: if you remember correctly. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that's such a great point of it really is... They both needed this so much and they both grew so much from it. And when it ends, that's fine.
2: Yeah, I think acceptance is, like, very important. And I think a lot of movies don't... on accepting things when
1: they're over. I love this movie so much. Eh. It's so good. And I, oh, this was the bit that I meant to mention earlier because I had highlighted the so happy earlier. I'm sorry. But when she, uh, quote unquote, introduces herself to him in the line of reporters, he's the only one that she greets and she goes, so happy, Mr. Bradley. Oh,
0: that is so sweet.
1: Like, it's It's really sweet. I feel
0: like we did only in past. Well, no, we explicitly talked about the writing, but like it is so tidy.
1: Tidy. I like that. There's so many good lines.
0: I agree with you, Maggie. I I do actually really like this movie. I think it it is delight. It it like hits those melancholic notes that I need in like a rom com because you know. I got to have complex breeding Wii. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I I enjoyed it.
2: I like movies that end happily, but, you know, it was good.
0: So had they gotten back together, how would you feel?
2: Uh, I think we would have had a totally different review of like, this is stupid. It would have never worked. But I really like it. I think um, I just... I don't think it should be number four on AFI's most romantic movies. I think it's romantic, but it's, it's more practical than romantic most of the movie. Most of the movie is them realizing the practicality of this relationship and how it wouldn't work. There's only like 10 minutes of it where it's like, oh, we're in love and cute things are happening. So I don't think it should be on that list. But I think it's on that list because the two main actors are... Have really good charisma together and chemistry. And I think it's delightful. So I think it should definitely be on that list. But number four,
1: I would put it on the list. I definitely wouldn't put it above Princess Bride if I'm going like pure, purely romantic.
2: Or hell,
0: even Marty. Like Marty was an imperfect movie, but it had a lot of sweet tendencies and like a really sweet ending. And like, I don't know, maybe the complexity is why they... The emotional complexity, that is, is why they put it high. But I'm also like, if I'm talking about passions...
1: It's also almost a perfect movie.
0: Okay, but we're talking passions, not perfection.
1: <laughs> I think I'd have it higher than both of you, but I, I don't know if I'd have it at number four. I really want to do a special episode on this because I think this could be a really fun conversation. I just think... um A lot of times for you, Maggie, you
2: like a movie more because of the nostalgia or like you watched it in a specific moment, I think more than me, because like I feel like a lot of times I'll like watch it and then I'll go back and rewatch something and I'll be like, meh, I don't know why I like that movie so much, but you are able to hold on to the nostalgia more than I am.
1: I don't know, though, because like I was trying to think about like when is the first time I had to watch this and I don't think there was like any particular like event or something around when I watched it. I, I think I also just love like a well-written movie. And because I feel like this one brings like, it has the really sweet romance, but it brings it to a very logical conclusion for those characters. And it feels very natural and real. I think that's part of the reason I like this one so much. I just I
2: agree. I like I like how pragmatic they are. But you know me, I like watching garbage movies that don't make (laughs) me sad at the end. So I think. Oh, did you feel sad at the end? I mean, yeah, because you
1: want them to be together and you want them to be happy. Right. Yeah. That's why I said it's a perfect ending. It's not a sad ending. Like I I wouldn't like it as like the movie as a whole as much as. If they got together. But I think part of the reason that the movie is so good is because you have those layers of feelings and there is the complexity to the relationship there and that they don't lose that, you know, in order to play into the comedy or play into the romance necessarily. They have it arise very organically and it's based on like the situation. I think it's iconic
2: because it ended that way. Right. I mean, Audrey Hepburn was in so many films during her time, and most of those films ended happily. Right. So the reason that this one stands out above the others is because it doesn't end in that happy, cutesy way that she kind of ends up getting cast in.
0: And it's also not My Fair Lady.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or like charade. Like that one ends like
2: me, 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 me.
1: I mean, even Breakfast at Tiffany's, like they changed the ending. They changed a lot from the source material in order to get this happy, quote unquote, happy romantic ending. But it feels forced as much as I love that movie. That ending feels forced. Um, I think the ending to this movie is probably a huge part of why it gets a nomination for a best picture, despite the fact that it is a romantic comedy, which is not a genre that we see, you know, get the nomination or win very often.
0: Yeah. And I again with the ending, like it's. I don't view it as sad. I view it as incredibly empowering because it's like you discovered each other and yourself and like you are now assured in your station and role and whatever you were like looking for. And yes, maybe you will look back on this with like, oh, that was a nice time. I'd like to go back there, especially from Princess Anne. Like, I see that growth into this assuredness. And I I don't know. I see that as like very positive.
1: Any additional thoughts before we hit our wrap up? Why was it called Roman Holiday? Is it because it's in Rome on a holiday? Because she kind of takes a holiday from her royal. So it's not because (laughs) Valentine's Day is a Roman holiday. Sadly, (laughs) no. no. (laughs) Again, the reason we're doing this for Valentine's Day special is because I wanted to do a special episode. And... This was on the AFI's list, and that was what I chose for my source material. Next time, do you want me to just choose? I did consider Princess Bride.
0: Oh. I don't like Princess
1: Bride that much. (laughs) So. Oh my God, that's like maybe my favorite. Oh my favorite God, can you come on time. that
0: episode with us, please? Are... No,
1: I can't. I, my heart can't
2: take that. I don't think. Like, I genuinely. No, he doesn't like it when I disagree with her movie opinions on her movie podcast.
1: No, 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 no. It's not that I don't like it when you disagree with me. It's that Princess Bride is an a, like a very special movie to me. It is the one I watch when I'm sick, it is the one I watch like whenever I feel down. It's that or the mummy. Those are the two that I watch like I that movie has a very special place in my heart. Well, it's like
2: if you came in here and you like dissed a Cinderella story or a parent trap and I'm like, well, it's not a perfect like every time Andrew comes in and is like, it's not a good movie. It's stupid, like trying to call it its flaws. I'm like, shut up. Like, I don't care. Like, this is a nostalgic movie for me.
0: Okay, there are plenty of not good movies that are really fucking entertaining and worth your time. Like. This is the thing about pop culture and like gatekeeping with like true art versus pop culture. Like not everything has to be a fucking opus magnum like. I Magnum
1: opus. Okay, sorry.
0: Magnum opus. <laughs> sorry, we're on glass <laughs> number five of champagne now. So
2: <laughs> as someone who consistently gets mocked for only watching like Real Housewives and Bravo, it's I have to have this conversation all the time that like what I do is very serious and a lot of life is very serious and sad. And so you, it depends how you want to use your media. Some people want to use their media to like expand their mind or like learn something new. And it's like, no, I like to use my media to fully escape and like check out versus like, Like, I don't understand people that like want to go watch Grey's Anatomy and are like, I want to cry for an hour. That sounds like a good time to me. Like, I don't get those people. Okay,
0: but sometimes it's really nice to cry for an hour. I mean,
2: I like doing that, too, but I don't know. I just it's not something you want to do every Tuesday at eight to nine p.m. (laughs)
0: Okay, what is the most Stepford thing but scheduling your emotion time every Tuesday from 8 to 9 p.m.? Sometimes
1: sometimes you do not have time to have emotions, Ian. Sometimes you have to bury that shit deep until your moving nightmare is done and then you can fall apart two weeks later over nothing because yeah. it's everything's been handled and it's safe to cry now. <laughs>
2: I went to therapy today, so I'm like having an enlightened sense of self. So you can just shove your stupid mouth in your stupid whore face.
0: I love my stupid whore face.
1: Oh my God, will you shut your stupid whore face so that I can do the sign off? I can't believe I had to be the responsible on track one this episode.
0: Okay, no, you let me get two glasses in, two glasses in with champagne, and then we restarted. That is, have you been recording this whole time? I meant to ask like a good 45 minutes ago.
1: Nope. No, I have. (laughs) I almost had a heart attack. Please don't joke like that. Um, Thank you for uh, joining us on this very special episode. Lola, thank you so much for being back. Anything you want to plug? Um, I stream now, so if you want really horrific opinions while watching
2: me play really horrific games, uh, twitch.tv slash slothy, <laughs> as it's S-L-A-W-T-H-Y, uh, send me a follow, and uh, you'll see Maggie and never Ian in there, and it'll be really fun. Oh my
0: God, I feel <laughs> so attacked right now.
1: <laughs> you should. are <laughs> just old. Yeah. Um, yes again thank you so much for joining us definitely check out lola's stream it's a good time and i think you play really good and interesting games and always have good stuff to i heard say. you played
0: bioshock so i'm games. a big fan of that game and you so
1: but not a big enough fan to drop in for that one apparently. okay it's been a
0: weird month slash
1: 24
0: months <laughs> i've
1: only really been streaming for
2: like four but you yeah, know <laughs> But no, uh, I played Bioshock and it was really fun. And I do variety games and very story-driven games that tend to be sad, which is kind of ironic considering I hate sad movies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, if you want to hear more of Lolo on our podcast, she was on our Jaws episode, our White Christmas episode, and our Flash Gordon episode. I think that's all of them. She will definitely be on more in the future. I can tell you that. Um, And then you can join us next time for...
0: And a canon episode of sorts. I'm not hundred percent sure the order in which everything is coming out. So uh, it's going to be a surprise. Have fun with that.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, But thanks again. In the meantime, you can find us on social media. We are at best pictures pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Definitely a little bit more active on Twitter. Uh, Let us know your thoughts on Roman holiday. Let us know your thoughts on AFI's hundred passions list. I'm curious to see if anyone else uh, thinks similarly about that uh, as we do. Uh, Let us know if you want us to do that special episode where we kind of create our own list. Um, Rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. And we will catch you next time.